eclectic. Callaway, and I am a 30-year-old single mother who is continuing my education by pursuing my master's in social work. Um, I also have a bachelor's in human services and an associate in early childhood development, as well as an associate in human services. I have been blessed to work in the areas of early childhood development as well as homelessness. I currently work at the Office of the Governor, Continuum of Care, which affords me the opportunity to work with several social service agencies. I also work at Givers That Care as a client care consultant, which is an in-home health care service. My journey has provided me with the opportunity to be able to educate, facilitate, advocate, case manage deliver therapeutic services, as well as give back to the community. It's very interesting. And now I'm going to tell you, listen, public a little bit about myself, Mr. Eclectic Blue. F. Christopher Blue, better known as Mr. Blue, is a man who dons many hats. His logo is called E3 and is the foundation of everything that he's about. He educates, he empowers, and he entertains. As an educator, Mr. Blue researches and delivers information to the youth and their family in order for them to rise from the depths of poverty, make more informed decisions, and learn from a perspective that is more grounded in their culture and level of understanding. Mr. Blue once educated in the school systems of Dorchester County at Austin Middle School and in Charleston County at North Charleston Elementary School, A.C. Cochran Elementary School, through a program he co-founded called YEP, Youth Empowerment Program, and Chicoa Elementary School. He continues to educate youth and their parents and strives to improve conditions in the African-American community. As one who empowers, he does this on a daily basis. As a child and adolescent clinician for a company called Securing Resources for Consumers Incorporated, he works with children who have behavior problems and mental health diagnoses. These children have difficulty in the academic setting, home, and community in most cases. He develops and implements interventions to give them the skills to reduce attributes of their diagnosis and therefore succeed in life. 
He works with the families of such youth and learning skills, solidifying structure, increasing supervision, and developing incentives that better assist such youth in accomplishing their goals. He works with key players such as Department of Social Service, Department of Juvenile Justice, community leaders, health officials, and the school system to have a team approach in helping such youth succeed in their goals. This multi-systemic approach ensures that the youth have support in all the areas that directly affect them in their life. As an entertainer, well, Mr. Blue has well over 10 active years in entertainment. He originally formed the production company Scorn Productions in 1994 with no more than a simple drum machine, turntable, karaoke machine, and a Sega CD system he used to sample. He gradually upgraded to a full-fledged studio, and after five years of making singles and mixtapes, his group called Scorn released an album called The Album, which featured guests from Houston, Texas, Ontario, Canada, Washington, D.C., Miami, Florida, and more places. The album was a commercial success and ranked one of the highest sold and listened to on the now defunct mp3.com. He then released his first official album in 1999 called To Death Do Us Part, which was an emotional album dedicated to his brother who was killed some years before. Several more group albums and solo albums from his group members as well as a trilogy from Mr. Blue followed. The trilogy series were Ghetto Born, Ghetto Torn, and Ghetto Scorn. During this time period, Mr. Blue was signed to a major label which soon thereafter was bought out by an even larger label, and Mr. Blue got lost in transition. His last indie album was his best commercially viable product, but did not have the success of other albums due to poor promotion and marketing by the now-defunct record label. The last album was released in 2003, and the world would no longer hear any music for Scorn Productions. Years later, after he completed his master's in clinical okay. counseling and marriage and family counseling, he changed the name of his media company to Eclectic Media and started a new movement in assisting other artists and business entities to get to the next level by his company's consultation, implementation, and assessment services. He's also creative director of Geechee One Magazine and consults with other business entities. Well, all right. <clears throat> That's a little bit about me, probably a little bit too much, but <laughs> you get the gist of what I'm about and what Amen. Calloway Amen. is about. But um, today's topic is called the 10 thing, 12 Things a Negro Should Know. And this is a, a document that I came across a while back, which is about 100 years, ago, years old. It's by Nanny Helen Burroughs and was written in the early 1900s. And she basically writes about the 12 things a Negro must do for himself in order to you know, do better in society and do better for himself. Unfortunately, when I read this, this letter, when I read this documentation, um, it almost brought me to tears because the 12 things that she spoke about 100 years ago are still true to this day. Twelve Things the Negro Must Do for Himself by Nanny Helen Burroughs. Now, this was written early 1900s, so approximately 100 years ago. One, the Negro must learn to put first things first. The first things are education, development of character traits, a trade, and home ownership. The Negro puts too much of his earnings and clothes and food and show and in having what he calls a good time. The Dr. Kelly Miller said, the Negro buys what he wants and begs for what he needs. Two, the Negro must stop expecting God and white folk to do for him what he can do for himself. It is the divine plan that the strong shall help the weak, but even God does not do for man what man can do for himself. The Negro will have to do exactly what Jesus told the man in John 5, 8 to do. Carry his own load. 
take up your bed and walk. Three, the Negro must keep himself, his children, and his home clean and make the surroundings in which he lives comfortable and attractive. He must learn to run his community up, not down. We can segregate by law. We can integrate only by living. Civilization is not a matter of race. It is a matter of standards. Believe it or not, someday, some race is going to outdo the Anglo-Saxon completely. It could be the Negro race if the Negro gets sense enough. Civilization goes up and down that way. Four, the Negro must learn to dress more appropriately for work and for leisure. Knowing what to wear, how to wear it, when to wear it, and where to wear it are earmarks of common sense, culture, and also an index to character. Five, the Negro must make his religion an everyday practice and not just a Sunday go-to-meeting emotional affair. Six, the Negro must highly resolve to wipe out mass ignorance. The leaders of the race must teach and inspire the masses to become eager and determined to improve mentally, morally, and spiritually, and to meet the basic requirements of good citizenship. We should initiate an intensive literacy campaign in America, as well as in Africa. Ignorance, satisfied ignorance, is a millstone about the neck of the race. It is democracy's great burden. Social integration is a relationship attained as a result of the cultivation of kindred social ideals, interests, and standards. It is a blending process that requires time, understanding, and kindred purposes to achieve Likes alone and not laws can do it. The Negro, seven, the Negro must stop charging his failures up to his color and to white people's attitude. The truth of the matter is that good service and conduct will make senseless race prejudice fade like mist before the rising sun. God never intended that a man's color shall be anything other than a badge of distinction. It is high time that all races were learning that fact. The Negro must first qualify for what position he wants. Purpose, initiative, ingenuity, and industry are the keys that all men use to get what they want. The Negro will have to do the same. He must make himself a workman who is too skilled not to be wanted and too dependable not to be on the job according to promise or plan. He will never become a vital factor in industry until he learns to put into his work the vitalizing force of initiative, skill, and dependability. He has gone rights mad and duty dumb. Eight, the Negro must overcome his bad job habits. He must make a brand new reputation for himself in the world of labor. His bad job habits are absenteeism, funerals to attend, or a little business to look after. The Negro runs an off and on business. He also has a bad reputation for conduct on the job, such as petty quarreling with other help, incessant loud talking about nothing, loafing, carelessness, due to lack of job pride, insolence, gum chewing, and too often liquor drinking. Just plain bad job habits. Nine. He must improve his conduct in public places. Taken as a whole, he is entirely too loud and too ill-mannered. 
There was much talk about wiping out racial segregation and also much talk about achieving integration. Segregation is a physical arrangement by which people are separated in various services. It is definitely up to the Negro to wipe out the apparent justification or excuse for segregation. The only effective way to do this is to clean up and keep clean. By practice, cleanliness will become a habit and habit becomes character. 10. The Negro must learn how to operate business for people, not for Negro people only. To do business, he will have to remove all typical earmarks, business principles, measure up to accepted standards and meet stimulating competition graciously. In fact, he must learn to welcome competition. 11. The average so-called educated Negro will have to come down out of the air. He is too inflated over nothing. He needs an experience similar to the one that Ezekiel had, Ezekiel 3:14 through 19, and he must do what Ezekiel did. Otherwise, through indifference as to the plight of the masses, the Negro who thinks that he has escaped will lose his own soul. It would do all leaders good to read Hebrew 13:3 and the first 37 chapters of Ezekiel. A race transformation itself through its own leaders and its sensible common people. A race rises on its own wings or is held down by its own weight. True leaders are never things apart from the people. They are the masses. They simply got to the front ahead of them. Their only business at the front is to inspire to masses by hard work and noble example and challenge them to come on. Dante stated a fact when he said, show the people the light and they will find the way. There must arise within the Negro race a leadership that is not out hunting bargains for itself. A noble example is found in the men and women of the Negro race who, in the early days, laid down their lives for their people. Their invaluable contributions have not been appraised by the latter-day leaders. In many cases, their names would never be recorded among the unsung heroes of the world, but for the fact that white friends have written them there. Lord, God of hosts, be with us yet. The Negro of today does not realize that, but for these exhibit A's, that certainly show the innate possibilities of members of their own race. White people would not have been moved to make such princely investments in lives and money as they have made for the establishment of schools and for the ongoing of the race. Twelve, the Negro must stop forgetting his friends. Remember, read Deuteronomy 12, 24, 18. Deuteronomy rings the big bell of gratitude. Why? Because an ingrate is an abomination in the sight of God. God is constantly telling us that I, the Lord, thy God, delivered you through human instrumentalities. The American Negro has had and still has friends in the North and in the South. These friends not only pray, speak, write, influence others, but make unbelievable unpublished sacrifices and contributions for the advancement of the race, for their brothers in bonds. The noblest thing that the Negro can do is to live and labor that these benefactors would not have given in vain. The Negro must make his heart warm with gratitude, his lips sweet with thanks, and his heart and mind resolute with purpose to justify the sacrifices and stand on his feet and go forward. God is no respecter of persons. In every nation, he that feareth him and work of righteousness is sure to win out. Get to work. That's the answer to everything that hurts us. We talk too much about nothing instead of redeeming the time working. This list was written for turn of the 20th century Negroes.
What is your opinion of this list applied to modern African Americans? Now, looking at this list, I just feel sorry that it's still true today after 100 years. It seems like it's going to be true today unless a change is actually made available to us. We actually realize that we're hurting ourselves and no one's being negatively affected by it except for ourselves. Ms. Callaway? Um, Overall, I have found the 12 things a Negro must do for himself extremely interesting. This was written in the early 1900s, and um, it seems to be more relevant now than ever. I feel as if it's time to take charge and make some changes, and what better time for change than now? And we need to note that, you know, change starts with self. So we need to change or start making change. And um, in that change, you know, it will assist our children, our community, and changing as well. I agree. We have a caller from California. Let's see what that opinion on the subject is. Callie? Oh. Is the caller, are you there? Hello? Hey, how are you? Yes. I'm doing fine. How are you guys? We're well. What's your name? CJ. Okay. Thanks for calling in. You're welcome. I was listening to what your colleague had to say, and I felt that a lot of those statements are very, they're very profound, and I do think that they still hold true for today's society. But I think that there's a reason why that stuff still um, hasn't transcended into today's community, and that needs to be considered as well. Um, people that are in charge, like when you talk about black people and the state of, and the, state of uh, the community of black people, those that do have high positions, they don't, um, they don't really want to empower. So, I mean, I think that that's a, an effective, like, a reason why people remain stagnant, at least, you know, from my own personal experience. I can agree with that. Um, I've had some African-American um, employers, and um, it, it is more difficult to, I think, to, um, you know, be motivated in those companies and to, to move up to higher ranks in those companies. But there is an issue. What that issue is, I think it's several issues. It's not just any one issue. But, again, that's why I say that things need to start with self. That's where change has to start. I mean, you can't change people. But we can change the way we do things, the way we speak. We can change the way we dress. We can change the way we respond to a situation. We can change our educational status. So with – so you on a personal level, the both of you, um, when you first came across this this, this list, um, what what were your thoughts? Like, what did you think? Were you shocked? When I looked at the list, and like I said, I read it a couple couple weeks, couple months ago. Um, I was more hurt that something that was written a hundred years ago stands true for people a hundred years later. And in fact, you would think that had many sacrifices. As some people, as a lot of people, not only African Americans, but Caucasians and Hispanics and other races as well, the contributions that they made and were still in the same spot, basically, if not even worse than 100 years ago. That really, it, it kind of hurt me. And you know what I'm saying? It galvanized me that 
open up communication and speak with other people and community, well, people that call themselves community leaders and activists and what change that we could make in order to benefit us as a whole. And um, still today, I mean, it's still like, oh, I wish I could check off some of these lists that no longer applies, but it seems like almost every one of them still applies today. Well, for me, when I first viewed the list, I looked at it, and um, it took a few minutes for it to sink in because it was so flabbergasting. And then I began looking at self, like, you know, can I check off? How many of the 12 can I check off? And sad to say, um, <laughs> I have some work to do. Um, it just made me think about my children being a single mother, like, you know, how can I incorporate this into their lives so they can see that if they don't make a change within themselves, within our community, that this is where there will be 30 years from now and, and their children's children, so on and so forth. So for me, it was just, it was more of a personal thing. Um, you know, I didn't really look at the community aspect of it like Blue did. Um, it just kind of hit home because I look at, you know, the progress that I've made personally, and I think, okay, well, you know, I'm almost at that line. I'm at the finish line. And when I read the list, I realized I'm so far from the mark. I think, I think for, I've only um, heard a very small portion of uh, the list, and all those things ring true for me as well. But I do think the two of you brought forth some very profound statements. Lou, when he said that when thinking about other cultures and everything, that it it applies there as well. I think think that's the most profound thing because you can't isolate one um, people and say, you know, this is just for black people. This is what black people need to do. Definitely. Um, What's the original name of the list? Uh, Twelve things a Negro should do? Twelve things a Negro must do. Uh Go ahead, Lou. Twelve Things the Negro Must Do for Himself is written by Nanny Helen Burroughs, B-U-R-R-O-U-G-H-S. Okay, Twelve Things the Negro Must Do for Himself. I believe that, that those things are twelve things a person must do for themselves because mm-hmm. when you look at white people, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, all of those things are, are evident and, and prevalent within those cultures. But... It's like the way society is designed, you would um, to have more attention, the way American society is designed, you would have more attention drawn to, you know, um, in, in Southern California, definitely it would be black people and Mexican people. You know, white people, you know, um, people who want to be classified as or that are classified as trailer trash or, or things like that, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's kind of glossed over. I mean, you know, forgive me for using that term, but, you know, um, that, that's kind of glossed over, and when you think of white America in my in my uh, society, you know, it you don't that's not brought to the forefront. Whereas for Hispanic people and Black people in San Diego, where I live, that's all you see. There's never anything positive, you know, um, for for us. So, and how do you suggest we change that? What are your thoughts about change? suggest that we change it. I have no idea. I, I truly, I don't know. I mean, like you said, you have to start with yourself. When I was I, I was thinking about what you were saying, you know, you have two young children who are going to be teenagers pretty soon. So 
you do have to take time out, reevaluate your approach with them, instill some of these things into them so it becomes an inherent quality, and then they can go ahead and, and live, live their lives differently and just walk a different path. Um, it takes time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of patience. People, you know, aren't going to be accepting. There's going to be some reservations, of course, just like with anything, but that's, that's the only thing I suggest because when you, when you say, oh, you can have uh, community involvement or you can reach out and do this and do that, those people who reach out, and they're, they're, to me, they look for attention mm -hmm. and they don't really uh, stay around to, to see the results. Like, like what are you going to glean from this? It, it exactly, I agree. I agree. So it, it doesn't it doesn't follow through. So most importantly, you do have to start with you, and then um, and then just go from there. Well, Chandra, we want to thank you for calling and taking time out of your day. We appreciate your call, and we hope to hear from you during another show. Okay, perfect. You definitely will. Thank, thank you. you do we have another caller? Yes, we do. Okay. Caller fifty. Call at 15. Yes, I'm here. Yes, what's your name? Good evening. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Great. Um, uh, my name is Ashley. And, um, Thanks what's for your calling opinion on Ashley. This? Yeah, thank you. What's your opinion on this particular piece, Ms. Ashley? Um, well, this is my first time hearing it, and um, I found it very interesting. Um, kind of like Ms. Calloway, I took a, um, an individual look at it because you know, we have to start with ourselves. And um, one thing that can be said is that a lot of other races don't look at themselves as an all-inclusive body. They look at themselves as self. When someone else does something wrong, it doesn't affect them. But mm -hmm. they're so quick to lump us together, you know. But I think that it has to start with ourselves and looking into ourselves and how can I make myself better like you, Ms. Calloway, and how can I make my children better because um, nobody's going to do it for us. You exactly. Know? Everybody wants exactly. a handout or somebody to reach back for us, but what if that hand never comes? Then what happens to us? I'm not going to sit around and wait for someone else to do for me what I can do for myself because there are positive examples out there. There is a guideline out there, so if no one ever reaches back, it's not like you haven't seen it there before. It's up to you to take the initiative and say, I want something better for myself. I want something better for my family. And that's how you should approach it, not, you know, I need to wait for someone to come and show me how to do this. The path is already laid there for you. I agree with that. I do. I do. Excellent point, Ms. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate your call. Um, I agree with her. I, I truly believe that, you know, if we do not teach the next generation, our children, our nieces, our nephews, you know, morals and things of that nature, they're going to look at this list possibly sometime in their lives and we'll be, you know, again, 30, 40 years later down the road and they'll be sitting here saying the same exact things that we're saying. So it really starts with self and hopefully, you know, if our, we can instill this in ourselves, our children, you know, it'll rub off on some of our friends and at church and at work and just in societal meetings with each other. But, again, it starts with self. Or even sharing the document itself with people, you know, just kind of 
going over to your pastor or somebody at work or your quote-unquote homegirl, homeboy saying, hey, have you heard about this? Have you read this? Just putting the document itself out there I think is empowering and educating as well. So that's just a simple step that we could take. Right, I agree. Let's see what um, Caller 87 has to say about this documentation. Caller 87? Hi. Hello, how are you Um, doing today? I'm good. Um, This is Joanna. I'm calling from Charleston. Charleston, my home city, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm an educator, and I totally agree with everything that everyone has said so far today. And I do believe that it starts with self. And the relevancy of that piece is just amazing. I, I find it hard to believe that it's 100 years, you know, over 100 years old. Um, you know, if you just change that Negro to young man, young woman, it could be for any race, a creed, or color, and it would still be relevant. Yeah. And I, I'm just I'm happy that you shared it with me. Uh, I, I'm encouraged. I'm going to share it with others. It's just going to make me do a little self-inventory. Um, you know, you're thinking once you've gotten your degree and you've succeeded in a few areas that maybe you have arrived, and then you look at the list and you're like, whoa, coming up a little bit short. Exactly. <laughs> so as an educator and working with um, kids in K through 5, uh, on a day-to-day basis I'm trying to empower and encourage. You know, just doing it one student at a time. You may not be able to reach the masses of the entire school, but the ones that you come in contact with, you can be a positive influence and correct some maybe not so good behavior just by redirecting on a one-on-one basis. And I think that you can help, it, it helps the world as a whole. Mm-hmm. How long have you been an educator? Been in the game for about 13, 14 years now. Oh, what well, changes God have you seen? You. Yes, definitely. What God changes have you seen and what we could probably define as a generation? Has there been any major changes have you seen in education or in um, the empowerment of our children through education? Well, it, you know, it kind of dates you when you started out with little kids that were in kindergarten and they come back to you now and they have mm-hmm. their first child. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I just see where there's just a need for more parental involvement, we need to have more empowerment groups in the school and in the community. We just need to be more involved as a people because it does take a village to raise a child. And unfortunately, we're having younger and younger parents, and if their skills aren't up to par, then what can you expect from the children? So uh, each one that can teach one, you know, I, I think it's a wonderful thing. Thank you, Ms. Joanne, for sharing, and uh, I applaud you in your um, efforts to educate. I was an educator once, and believe me, it was one of the hardest jobs that I've ever had, and even now that I have you know, a master's degree and I do something totally different in the community, but still educating, I remember that the hardest time I had wasn't um, educating others because the ball dropped at home, and that's what the education really needed to start at. Exactly. Well, I think perhaps sometimes as an educator, the things that you tell the kids at school, they do go back home and tell the parents. So if you're saying something positive and you're sending a little positive note that way, sometimes I think it can carry over, and it does. So I'm very Okay. Well, thank you, Ms. Joanne. 
Yes, thank you for calling, and we hope to hear from you again. All right, we're going to go into a, a short interlude, and we'll be right back. back with um, Eclectic Perspectives and discussing the 12 things that Negro must do for himself. I want to um, do an overview of you know, two particular ones that stand out for me in regards to this um, particular discussion. One, the Negro must learn to put things first. The first things are education, development of character traits, and the trade and home ownership. Working with the population that I currently work in, I see that this is lacking in every single regard. Um, the population I work with aren't really obtaining education. I do see some women obtaining education, but honestly, I'll be honest, I'll tell you that a lot of people, they pursue education with just the benefit of getting their refund checks. And this is seen, I hear this echoed far too many times in regards to my interactions with these particular um, individuals and in particular groups. I'm also development of character traits. It's almost as if they're highly influenced by what they see on TV, where we watch way too much media, we look at way too much TV, and I see a lot of characterizations in which I see on these television shows, particularly these live shows like The Flavor of Love and Rock of Love and this one and that one. Then I see it manifest in the club. I see it manifest at, at church, in front of the church before we go in. I see it manifest in open discussions or at picnics or at plays. I, I see it far too often. Ms. Calvin? Well, I, I agree with everything you're saying, um, but I think for me, I want to choose number eight, the Negro must overcome his bad job habits. And um, mm -hmm. I say that because it seems as if almost everything I volunteered with or every place I've worked at, even educational settings with me being a student myself, and it's more so women than men, are dressed inappropriately. You know, I've seen mm -hmm. directors have to send women home because they're short skirts or there's too much cleavage showing. You know, and I just think that sometimes we wonder why we don't get promoted or we get promoted for the wrong reasons, you know, and to stay right. in that position you've been promoted for, it comes with a cost, you know. Um, we really just, even children, you know, I walk in the high schools and middle schools and elementary schools, and these children have on the tightest of the tight, the shortest of the short, you know, and I'm looking like this child is 13. She doesn't work. Mm -hmm. so her parents are buying these types of clothing. Which, you right. know, at 13, if this is what mom and dad is purchasing, then this is going to 
definitely overflow into into adult life more than likely. Um, so that's a really big concern for me. Even with going to the beach, some of the bathing suits the little children have on, you know, and everybody has their own perspective on how to dress their child, and that's fine. I just think that even with predators being out there, we have to really be careful of how we dress our children, you know, mm-hmm. and what kind of attention they're drawing. You, I mean, you have 30-, 40-year-old men looking at women or looking at young ladies, excuse me, that are 13, 14, 15 years old, you know. Right. Um, so for me, that that's definitely one we need to we need to work on overall, not just for the job, but just overall, just the way we dress and, you know, dressing appropriately for wherever we may be. Because even at church sometimes, I swear, I don't know how the pastor makes it through a sermon because, you know, just looking at some of the women is like, wow, you came to God's house with that on, you know? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent point and disturbingly so. We're going to definitely have some discussions based on religion coming coming down the line. We'll definitely want to mm. that today. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So, um, <laughs> speaking of that, I'd um, like to go into, you know, basically what I consider the um, 2010 approach, and I call this particular piece, Slave, Steal Your Master. Nobody tells me what to do. And I go where I want to go, whenever I want to go. Well, you are right to a certain extent. You can do whatever you want to do, and you can go wherever you want to go. But consider this. You ain't doing nothing, and you ain't going nowhere. The slave masters don't have to chain you down or whip your ass anymore. Because you ain't doing nothing, and you ain't going nowhere. You have freedom in name, but not in definition. You are not a slave in name, but you are in definition. The definition of the word slave means one who was dominated by some outside influence and having no personal right or freedom. Do you even remember what true freedom was all about? The physical chains were just one aspect amidst the many horrors of slavery. The chains are off of our hands, but we ain't producing nothing. The chains are off of our feet, but we aren't going nowhere. Why? 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 We have forgotten the original reason and purpose for the physical chains. The chains were to hold you down. But if you ain't trying to get up, then the chains have outlived their purpose. Your thoughts and your actions make up the basis upon which your entire life is built. Your thoughts and actions are the only two things that you could call your own. Those are the only two things that are truly yours, not your money, Not your car, not your house, not your clothes, not your furniture, not your television, not your stereo, not your girlfriend, not your boyfriend, not your husband, not your wife, not your child. None of this can be called your own because you came into this world without it, and you are going to leave this world without it. Now getting back to the point, you are not in control of your thoughts and actions. Do you continue to do things that you know are wrong, but yet keep on doing them anyway? You're just sitting there wondering, why you can't stop doing what you know is wrong? This is because you don't control your own thoughts and actions. You are a victim to a complex system of psychological slavery and trichonology. The crack cocaine is still your master. The alcohol is still your master. The 40 ounce of beer is still your master. The peer pressure is still your master. 
The television is still your master. The money is still your master. The girlfriend is still your master. The boyfriend is still your master. The sex is still your master. The conceitedness is still your master. The envy is still your master. The ego is still your master. The jealousy is still your master. The materialism is still your master. The credit card is still your master. The self-hatred is still your master. The appetite is still your master. The emotion is still your master. The racism is still your master. The sexism is still your master. The foolishness is still your master. The ignorance is still your master. The true devil is still your master. Everything and everybody has mastered you but your own self. So what are you going to do about it? That was powerful. That was very powerful and, and true. And um, I think that I would like for everybody listening to sit back and just take a few seconds to to think about what they're enslaved to, whether it's finances, clothing, you know, a male, female, being a workaholic, just just take time and, and think about it. And um, while they're doing that, when we were listening to the 12 things that a Negro must do for himself, um, number 12 talked about us reading Deuteronomy 24 and 18. So that's what I'm going to do right now. And that particular verse says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. This is why I command you to do this. So we need to just remember that we should not be enslaved to anything. And we need to work on that, you know. And if we can not be enslaved for television or Facebook or whatever it may be, that will give us time to focus more on our children, our marriages, the things that matter, education. And um, maybe we'll be able to cross off a few more items on that 12 list that Ms. Burroughs prepared for us. All right. Excellent point. Well, that sums up pretty much um, today's show. Ms. Calloway, did you want to read something? I didn't. Um, I just read Deuteronomy, so I think I'm good. I just want to thank everybody who called in, um, everybody who listened to the show, and I ask that all of you spread the word. And if you have any topics that you would like for us to discuss, please um, contact us via Facebook, via email. And if you do not have that information, we're going to end the show and feel free to um, press 1, and we can give it to you. Um, or we can go ahead and say it now, Blue. Um, yes, you can um, access pretty much all the sites that I'm connected to through my personal website, www.mrblue.net. That's M-I-S-T-E-R-B-L-U-E.net. Once again, that's www.mistereblue.net. I'm on Facebook. I'm on MySpace. I'm on blog, blogger.com. But you can access all that information right from that particular site. It's um, in development, but you can still access that core social media links from the our main page. So, again, I want to thank everybody um, who called in and who's listening. And 
the three ladies that called in, I want to give you a special thanks because I appreciate you taking your time out to actually speak. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, that's all I have to say for today, Blue. This policy is valid from January 4th, 2019. This podcast is a personal podcast written and edited by F. Christopher Blue and his conglomerates at morethantherapy.org. For questions about this podcast, please contact staff at morethantherapy.org. The podcast accepts form of cash advertising, sponsorship, paid insertions, or other forms of compensation. The compensation received may influence the advertising content, topics, or posts made in this podcast. That content, advertising space, or posts may not always be identified as paid or sponsored content. The owners of this podcast is compensated to provide opinion on products, services, websites, and various other topics. Even though the owners of this podcast receives compensation for our post or advertisements, We always give our honest opinions, findings, beliefs, or experiences on those topics or products. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are purely the podcast's own. Any product claim, statistic, quote, or other representation about a product or service should be verified with the manufacturer, provider, or party in question. This podcast does not contain any content which might present a conflict of interest.